Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American Fire Service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs, up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories to promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at nationalfireradio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest, or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at boxalarmgrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market. Taylor's Tins is a leader in the American Fire Service helmet front space. Not only do they manufacture helmet fronts, but they do so much more. Locker tags, key chains, CO monitor charts, medical kit charts, pump charts, banquet awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to taylorstins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to taylorstins.com, Enter NFR sent me. That is NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you to put it on your helmet and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be a fun one. I got two fellas with me. We're recording on their equipment. 
This is uh, our second try at this. We recorded a whole full-length episode uh, back in February, and uh, we had a little bit of a technical glitch, which then didn't make the audio that wonderful, and so we decided to redo it. Uh, I was on their podcast back uh, several months ago, the Primary Complete Podcast, and uh, today I want to welcome to the National Fire Radio Show, Matt and Steve of the Primary Complete Podcast. Fellas, what's up? Jeremy, thanks for the invite. This is awesome. If if we have a failure this time, I'm just going to draw my own cartoon and do a voiceover. I can't do another failure. That won't work. I don't I I think I don't know if this was meant to be or not. Like I'm starting to think that maybe, you know, the planets have not aligned for us and maybe there's something bigger telling us that this just doesn't work. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Oh, dude. It's uh the last one was stressful. Uh, I'm sure you remember the the text chain back and forth at all wee hours of the morning and whatnot. I've tried my best to dig inside and find audio from cameras in the studio, microphones that I may not have muted or however yeah. to try to make it work, and it was just complete garbage. So substandard, yeah. which is not something we're willing to uh, not something we're willing to sacrifice. Neither are you. So. Uh, well, it's think, great to have the opportunity to come back. Yeah, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't understand, right? And like, you know, you you guys have uh, amassed uh, uh, quite the community and following of your own podcast as well as we do on ours. And so people really don't understand the work that goes in on the behind the scenes. I mean, it's easy to record for an hour because it's basically just a conversation. And it's easy for us to just chat with people, capture their story, have some laughs, you know, share some deep stuff. And then we say goodbye and we part ways. And And for the listener... That's exactly what they do. They join us for that narrative, that journey. They start on the intro. They listen. We ramp up. We ramp down. We come down on the backside. The show ends. They tune to another podcast, jump out of the car. They're done. That's when the work really begins for us. So I guess my question to you up front is, how little did you guys know going into this? <laughs> yeah. <Hey>, little <laughs> is correct. Because <laughs> I know I didn't know jack shit, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm glad that I didn't know, because if I had a clue, it I don't know that I would have, I probably still would have, but the bruises and the the setbacks, uh, I'm glad that I didn't know, because each one felt like, if you solve this, then you'll be fine, you can move forward, but you, you can't, there's, there's just another one that you have to solve, right. uh, yeah, it's tough, uh, I'm glad I didn't know. Who takes the lead there? On the tech stuff, Matt. Uh, as far as like the, on the editing side of things, yeah, you're talking about the post production stuff. Like, uh, the, well, the way I see it, Matt, the way I see it is, you guys hit, you know, end record, and Steve just puts down his headphones and walks out the door and says, "Matt, I'll see you at the firehouse," and he he leaves. And then you're, I can tell, man, you're the guy stuck holding the bag. Dude, I, I can tell you, I have uh, developed all kinds of slip discs and herniated discs from bearing the weight of this entire program. No, I'm kidding. That's 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 absolutely not true. No, uh, in the beginning, Steve handled all the technical side of things, so he was the one stuck in front of the computer and on the editing floor in the cutting room for hours and hours and hours. And then, you know, just an unexpected uh, life situation came up for him. His dad got super sick with COVID. And Steve and his father are, I mean, I don't even know how to describe the, I don't even know how to describe their relationship. It's uh, super special. So, you know, just, he didn't ask me or anything. I just, I knew that it was the right thing to do. 
I, I, I basically told him. I don't even think I gave you the option, Steve. But no, I said, yeah, you know, it, was, it was very polite, and I was so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I said, hey, dude, uh, I know you got a lot going on with your pops. You know, why don't you let me take the editing and let me take all that stuff and basically do exactly how you just described. Um, it's taxing enough to get you in the studio. I understand your time is needed elsewhere, but I appreciate the sacrifice. You come in, help, you know, help host, and then I'll take it from there. And, no, I love that. And no, it's that's just, what, it's, that's what a partnership is no? Yeah, that's, that's the way it should be. Um, we've, I'm grateful that we've never really had the tiff come up between us to where it was, uh, you know, you do more than I do, or I do more than you do. It's, it's never really been, I've never even had that thought in my mind, uh, and I've been involved in several businesses in the past, uh, and still still am involved in several businesses. But I've had those feelings in other businesses. But for some reason, I don't know if it's just the genuine feel of our show or what it is that we know it's just right. What we're doing is right. That's just never been a feeling for me ever. I you know I think a lot of that too. I mean the genuine feeling, as you say, um, it's you guys are doing something that you're passionate about, right? Like you, you're sitting back and enjoying, you guys started this because you wanted to, right? It wasn't, right. you know, some businesses are built out of necessity. Some businesses are built with the mighty dollar as the driver, right? You need to do better. I'm not making enough in the firehouse. I'm not making enough in my regular job. So I need a second source of income. And so there's a little bit more pressure on when you need to bring in that second revenue stream to offset your, you know, your income. A project like this, and correct me if I'm wrong, this was more of a passion project for you guys, no? 100%. Yeah. Do you, do you want to speak on that or do you want me to go? Yeah. the um, It's actually the opposite of the financial gain. Uh, it bled finances, but it was, yeah, it was a, a feeling that we had to do something. Like, it's just the path we were on uh, had to change. We had to figure out a way to, to help in the realm of mental health and uh, we didn't want to beat that drum too hard, but it was so important to us, and we just threw all the money in, and we bought all the equipment uh, without any knowledge of how to do it, and just hoped that we would figure it out along the way. Yeah, You know, sometimes that's how we learn best, right, is when you just jump in both feet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> we're firemen. I mean, that's we're not only visual learners for the most part. Uh, but that's exactly how we, we tend to learn best from mistakes. That's, I mean, yeah. you've had several folks, several very influential folks on your podcast, at, you know, that I listen to regularly, uh, free plug, and <laughs> they, uh, they, they continuously talk about their mistakes. I mean, and that's, it seems to be the fluid thing throughout the fire service, at least the personality type of the person in the fire service is uh, being able to be in an environment where it's, safe to fail that seems to be the best way we learn instruction wise does that make sense um it does but i think it's a very careful conversation right because you know as much as we hear people talk about like it's okay to make mistakes yes it's okay to make mistakes when it's something unpredictable or something that was kind of out of your control i think what we i think the I think the fine balance of this conversation has to be something along the lines of if it's something you can prepare for and something you should know, right? And you have done everything in your power to read up and do it physically, to be in a position that when called upon to act in such a way, 
you can perform. Now, we could always be better. We could always maybe do it a little smoother or a little faster or whatever that is. But I think we have to be careful when we say it's okay to make mistakes. It's obviously okay to make mistakes. We're, we're flawed. We're humans. We make mistakes all the time. But I think there's certain aspects of the job that we have to be careful when we tell maybe the new kids it's okay to make a mistake because that might resonate like, okay, I can, oh, I made a mistake. I screwed up. Sorry, guys. I'll do better next time. Whereas there's not that real buy-in or understanding that how important that mistake could have affected the outcome of the entire mission. You guys understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And I, I, I hate that the way I articulated it, it made it seem like that's what I was trying to say. What I, I'm not I'm not champion or promoting yeah, complacency, yeah, yeah. complacency or negligence whatsoever. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, uh, Based off the podcast, when we bought all of our equipment, you know, keeping it in that context, we had no idea, so we made piles of mistakes. Oh, uh, and I was just promoting that that's how we learn, Got as it. firefighters seem to learn the best, is by mistakes. Absolutely, there's no excuse for, uh, you know, accepting failures. That's not, uh, you know, that's not a practice that any of us should ever want. Is we want to try to minimize all of the what ifs so we don't have failures. But Matt, um, I almost think too, though, sometimes we have to clarify our points of view when we talk. Absolutely. Guys coming up through the ranks, right? Is that, you know, hey, it's okay to make mistakes, but it's, but understand that you need to learn from them. Like, you can't keep making the same mistake. And you have to push yourself, you know, you have to push yourself to be better constantly. And I think, like, that's probably a lot of, like, why you guys do what you do today. I mean, so. A little backstory with you guys that I know of is, uh, Matt, you were in the department first, and then Steve came in as a probie, right? And you were you were uh, a lead or, or uh, working as an instructor in the academy, right? Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so that's a pretty dynamic beginning for you two because there's a, there's a hierarchy there, right? And so it's like, you know, new guy guy that's been there for a little while now teaching the new guy and yet here you are years later sitting across from each other as 100 percent equals and mutual respect for one another and that's because you both are dialed in and believe in the mission and who you guys are and then wanting to further the job by getting involved with the podcast right yeah mission is probably the the best word to apply uh in that setting like same page uh the the rookie part I learned I learned a lot, and now that we've jumped ahead to now being on the same page and working together, it it's, feels good, and we're accomplishing a lot. Because yep. Matt was a real douche when you first started, no? <laughs> he was a pretty big asshole. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, though, talk about yeah. that, right? Because I think that happens often, and some of some of my favorite people in the world are people I did not get along with in the immediate. Yeah, I'll say this. It's okay. If you're new in the fire service and you've just joined an academy and you're learning, you're going to think that the people teaching you are assholes if they're doing a good job. If if I look back, like the reasons I thought he was an asshole, but everything was hard and his edges were not soft and everything being taught now makes sense looking back on it, but in the moment it's like bro why do why does it have to be this hard so uh, but i didn't have the experience of being on a fire scene and knowing that things have to be done correctly 
and there's not room for mistakes. So uh, I get it now, but boy, I thought he was an asshole in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't trying to be by any means. I was more or less kind of mimicking the uh, or portraying, I guess, the the leadership that I had when I started in the fire service. That's the way it, that's the way it was. It was, you know, I guess you could say it was hard, but there's there's a standard that has to be met and you have as an instructor or somebody who's put in a position to influence the new generation or the new group of firefighters or whoever's joining your department, you have, if you're, cha- if you're charged with being a person in leadership, when it comes to that group, you have to understand the standard and you have to not be willing to waver left and right because this, the, the people that you are attempting to teach will see inconsistencies more and they will stick with them more. Your inconsistencies will stick with them more than the fact of whether you are an asshole or not. You know what I'm saying? It seems, uh, it seems that way that inconsistency is the easiest thing to point out. The sifting through the bullshit that seems to be, I mean, we're firemen. We can, we can see that from a mile away and I was not going to be that guy. So I wanted to be tough and I'm I'm glad that it worked out in the end with me and Steve for sure. I'm glad that it worked out that way. Um, because I think they, I think that he benefited from that more than me being soft and pushy and just be like, all right, today we're going to throw ladders and, uh, you know, I understand some of you may not be physically capable of throwing a ladder by yourself, so we're going to get you some help, um, and then we can get it up that way. And yeah, it wasn't that way. Yeah, it wasn't no. that way at all. And um, it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> so it, You're right, Steve. It, it shouldn't be. I think that that's really the interesting part of that conversation, right? Because, you know, I look at, like, we can't compromise. There's certain things we can compromise on, and then there's certain things we cannot. And it's setting the tone, and, and the instructor staff and the people that are teaching our next generation have to draw a line in the sand and know that they can't cross or muddy or, or wipe that line out and move it again. There has to be that, that real strong line in the sand that we don't cross and that there's a, there's a reason why we do what we do from the get, and that's to instill X, Y, and Z into you so that we get the very best out of you for the residents that we serve, right? And so, like, we can't compromise values. We can't compromise integrity, strength, conviction, all those big words that we talk about. Um, You know, and Matt, kudos to you, because I think we are getting softer as we're moving forward. And, you know, I'm not saying instructor staffs are, but I think expectations of guys in the firehouse, expectations of the delivery of services, I hear it all the time that, you know, it's the kinder, gentler fire department, and I'm wondering what that truly looks like. Um, I mean, I've got a theory, and I want to preference this theory based that it is 100% my opinion, obviously, and I'm not saying this the it. way it is by any means, um, but I'm just speaking for our own little hole in the world down here in North Carolina. Uh, it seems like the priority has somewhat shifted, that it's gone from public service to public perception. So now the delivery that we're providing and the service that we're that we are expected to provide is being wavered on what it looks like when we come off the truck, uh, the personnel, the faces, and that I mean we can deep dive into the diversity conversation if you want to, but it's is it are there enough females in the department? Is there enough people of race in the department? Are you you know are you diverse? And that has become more important than the quality of employee. And the quality of training and the quality of standard that we're willing to put into the new people. It's less important that they can do the job that we all know is so important. And it's more important that 
they're perceived as we're all equal. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be negative, that we're all equal, but you, I think you know what I'm saying. I think the, I know the, exactly what you're saying, and I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't think that that's just your theory from a small little town. And that, that is everything across the board. I think we worry so much about perception today and how we're perceived by the public, town hall, what the, what the visuals look like, and the visuals have compromised the job. See, the, the thing is that when you politicize what we do, whether career or volunteer, it doesn't matter, too. It's the fire service, right? We have mm-hmm. one we have one job, right? And that job is to provide life, safety, and protection for the residents and their belongings, right? And that, that's it, the people that we serve. We don't care. We don't care if you're black, white, purple, brown, blue, pink, green. It doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter what religion, what sex. It None of that matters to firefighters. The only thing that matters is that you can do the job and do it, you know, proficiently and effectively and professionally when called upon to do so. That's what matters. And the only time that gets lost is usually when it goes above the rank and file, right? And it goes up to administration and then through town hall. That's where the visual matters. But to us, we don't give a shit. No, never have. That's that's right. never, ever been a thing uh, as because far as I can remember. It, it represents the people we serve. We don't look. We don't provide service to one group of people, right? So Correct. we don't discriminate our services against anyone. Why would we discriminate those that we serve with? We don't. Right. Yeah. Another good example is inside of a house that's on fire. You got smoke banked down to the floor. There's a fire in a, maybe a room down the hallway. Everybody that walks in in gear, if you look back, you don't see individuals. Uh-huh. That's you right. just see turnout gear, top to bottom, and it's that simple. Like Except that's for those it. Guys that like wear yellow coats or something, you know. And you're like, who are those guys? Like, where are they? Yeah, what's from? going on with the yellow? Like, yeah. What's going on? What's going on with those guys? Right? Like, you know, it's yeah. black, black turnout gear. Let's let's be honest here. But no, you know what I'm saying though. And and Steve, that's a very good point, right? Is that we uniform our people to look the same, and we do that because we don't. There's no one to stand out. There's no reason to you know focus on individuals the only differences we wear as a as a fire department right is like maybe a color helmet color shield and that's only for a command type role right of recognition but other than that right there is nothing that sets us apart based upon who we are and then all of a sudden we worry about well what does that truly look like right we worry about is it fair representation i don't know if it is or isn't to be honest with you because Ultimately, when you're providing the service that we provide, I don't give a shit if the department's 100 women out of at 105 firefighters. If they can do the job and do it well, God bless them. I don't care. Bro, we've got some we we're lucky, really. I mean, we're very fortunate. We have some we have some of the most badass women I believe that it. we work side yeah. by side with um that I would choose any day over some of the other folks that work with us that are not female. And that's the truth. That's hundred percent the truth. And I'll be glad to tell any of them that, uh, but that was part of the kind of the inception in, in the podcast. Um, just kind of circling back to where the the question began is we noticed some real issues going on within our own department. So we wanted to be able to record the, the conversations that were happening anyway. We mm-hmm. wanted to be able to capture that because it, it's kind of naive for us to think that, 
if we're having the conversations here that they're not being had somewhere else. Right. So, you know, and it's, it's anything for you to say something and somebody catch on and it resonate with them. So we wanted to do that and kind of, I guess, lucked up. You can call it luck. You can call it whatever, fate. But more than our department wanted to listen. And that's kind of what landed us where we are now. Um, How did but you guys still, find each other, though? Like, what was the dynamic? Because I got to think when Steve was finishing up the academy with you, Matt, he probably had enough of you. And so, like, where did that relationship come back around? Yeah, we we were on separate parts of the um, spectrum in the beginning. Like, it's it's clear. Uh, my first assignment was um, three, four miles down the road. I was at the next firehouse. And my first, I think I told you this last time, my first structure fire that went normal, um, Hoffman showed up with... Um, the crew on the truck company and they went in and searched and my officer just attached me with their crew and that fire and the way it went normal. It's like all the training and all the, the hard ass stuff made sense and it all clicked together. There was a lot of respect that got applied on that day. And then from there it just grew like, I, I guess an understanding Steve, do you think a lot of that was this guy was kind of a hard-ass drawing a line in the sand like we talked about at the academy, and then for you to work with him on a fire ground and saw, okay, you know what? This guy wasn't a blowhard. He wasn't full of it. Like, this is how he walks the line on the fire ground, and now it's starting to make sense because I think that's the biggest thing, right, is that our actions have to follow up and represent the words that we speak, and too often I think we drop the ball there. Yeah, that's a that's a very accurate way to explain that. Like seeing seeing all the training stuff actually in action with the same standard, uh, it works. Like it's natural. It's supposed to be that way. I know that now. I just didn't. I had to learn it. I get it. I mean, how would you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't know that unless you're exposed to it, right? And that's like I know like Absolutely. some of, some of the podcasts I've done, some of the guests I've talked to. You know, out of the academy, they go to a shitty firehouse and they don't know any better, right? Because they come out of the academy, they go to this firehouse, and this is the culture in that company, and they don't recognize that it's any different anywhere else until all of a sudden they see it. And then they go, wait a minute, I want to be with those guys. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then there's that trickle down, and that's how you start to find yourself through your career. But I often wonder how many people leave this job prematurely because they got exposed to shitty people from the get-go. I'm sure it would be mind-blowing. It's a lot. I think it's a right? lot. It's got. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's got to be a lot. Or somebody, uh, Jeremy, somebody who was with a group of rock stars, and then for whatever reason they get transferred or they get put with some lackluster people, how deflating that is when you're you're reflecting back on the way it used to be. You know, that's that firemen are good at that. Back in the day yeah, or we we, do, when we, we used to. We got to do better at that, right? Like, I look at, you know, and I know it's hard to do, but, like, you can't you can't take a, a, an A player, you can't take a rock star and put him in, a, in another company that doesn't perform. And unless he's going there with the, with the intent that he's going to be able to turn them around and he knows that from the get, and that's why he's going there. But I think this is where competent bosses, good leadership, good bosses, and good administration – will not destroy their people by putting them in places they don't belong. We need to promote, not demote. And you can't take somebody that's an all-star 
and put them in a shitty company and expect them to pro- maintain that same level of proficiency because it is super hard to be the only driver in a company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that all makes perfect sense, but it, it I wish that was the way it was uh, more than not, but it seems, it seems like when you have a group of all-stars, administration sees it as if you can take these all-stars, split them up and infect them in other companies. And for some reason, but the, then let's tell them the, that. Let's yeah, tell them I'm that with you. The get, right, Matt? Like, hey, yeah, I'm with brother, you. You're crushing it. This company, Engine 12, on the south side is a piece of shit. You know that. Yeah. We know that. We want to turn them around. We think you have what it takes to get those guys on track. What would it take for us to put you down there? What do you need from us? What can we do? You know, make them a promise that we'll get them to a, an A company after a 12-month stint there. Something, right? But, like, right. this is where – this is where it matters. And when you talk to like old school guys from big cities, like a lot of New York City guys, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of New York City people. That's how that game was played for so very long. It's like, hey, I need you to do me a favor, but I got you on the back end. And I mm-hmm. think that part of, of what we do is getting lost more than ever. Yeah, I don't believe that the the conversations like you're speaking of are being had. The, the clear understanding of expectations is not being laid out in front of really anybody anymore it's like a giant guessing game where knowledge is power and admin knows what's going on but they don't want to tell anybody because like i said for whatever reason secrets are power so yeah i like the i like the way of explaining things to people whether especially if it's something negative if you're taking a guy from an all-star company and putting him with somebody who's not so much uh you know up to par he needs to be built up a little bit. He needs his ego stroked a little bit uh, before he gets sent out there. I yeah, mean, be open. That's yeah. that's where leadership has to shine. They have to. Um, and yeah, you're right. Those conversations are. I don't believe they're being had. I know they're not being had in our department here. So I would imagine it's happening elsewhere too. Yeah, I think too often it's it too often it's it's a sneaky move and it's something that's not talked about. It's just a uh, pick you up and move you with this false idea that it's going to blend. Like you're just mixing two parts of something that will end up being the same. And it, it doesn't work that way. But if you take your method and explain up front, like this is why we're doing this for this purpose, that's open. And that I can get behind that. It It's not done so much that even when somebody brings an idea like that, I think your natural instinct is like, oh, uh. I don't know, man, because everybody else seems to be getting screwed. So, yeah, it needs to be open. It needs to be honest. The big part of – I think the big part of this conversation, I'd love to hear your take on it, is it's chess, not checkers, right? Like we're we're playing a long game here. There's longevity in the process, right? Like nobody's career happens overnight, and I think in today's world we expect everything to happen quickly, and nothing does. I mean you can't become – a solid firefighter, a good fire officer, a good chief without experience and time, right? You have to mature in those positions, which through maturity gives you a sense of uh, betterment for that position. And so it's chess. It takes a long time to get good at what you do. When you talk to firefighters in very busy departments and they talk about like their different riding positions and you talk about a roof firefighter versus the fourth entry firefighter, Versus the chauffeur, right? And all these all these applications on the fire ground, all these positions. You, It's nice to circle through them to get a taste of all of them. 
but the roof fire doesn't be the roof fireman doesn't become an incredible firefighter in the roof position without doing it time and time and time again. Agreed. Um, I think I think I'm picking up what you're putting down here as far as our take on it. Um, I hope so. I'm laying it out pretty thick. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'm picking up what you're putting down here. The um, <laughs> now the the approach of the approach of leaving people in specialized areas when you find out what they're good at and leaving them alone and allowing them to flourish and be better at that position that is real. I mean that's 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 a very real thing. Uh, and you can't expect somebody who's scared of heights to be good on a ladder company. But oftentimes, they get put there, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, and then they're not passionate about... Hit me. The reason is because he's a weak leader. The boss is a weak leader, and he wants somebody to look weaker than him. People that aren't available to believe in their own conviction, meaning we have uneducated, unskilled people in leadership positions today that haven't done the job themselves or are not proficient and confident in those jobs. And so what they want to do is belittle or tear down the guys below them instead of promoting them, right? They're not looking for the strong skills because if I promote that guy because he's really good at something, he's potentially going to show me up as the boss. These are insecure people. And that is where I think we're struggling. Matt, to your point, we want to find people that are good at what they do, put them in those places, and let them excel. <clears throat> let them go. Because ultimately, a confident leader wants better people. Like for me, I want everyone around me in my personal life, in my business, in the firehouse, I want everybody to pass me up. I hope that the people that I've had an influence on will do 10 times better than I did. You know why? Because I believe in it. I believe in those people. I'm giving everything I can to these people so that they're better. I don't want to hold anyone back. Poor leaders, poor management, insecure people do not push and promote people below them. They just can't do it. Yeah, we had a, uh, <laughs> we had a, our, our, we had Corley more on our show not too terribly long ago, and that was one Who's of the that? things that I we never heard of him. <laughs> I feel like that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. If you're not listening to uh, the the scrap, you definitely should. Don't plug love welcome him Corley. on my show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank nah, God I'm the one. We gotta beat that out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Corley's a dear. Listen, Corley's a dear friend, man. I talk to him. I wish I talked to him more than I do, but. He is really changing the game in what he's doing too. He's he's absolutely phenomenal at what he does. But go ahead, brother. Yeah, it's fine. The um, one of the questions I, I think that Steve posed posed to him was the idea. It's it's in a nutshell what you just said. The the thought process of I want to see you do well, just not better than me. And then, you know I'm willing to promote you up until the point, and I'm willing to build you up to the point where we become equal. But I'm stopping after that. I don't want you being better than me. I don't want you making me look bad. And yeah, that's a that's also a real mentality. And I think personally, my belief again, uh, my opinion is it's comes with these officers that we like to coin as seasoned, but have fell in the place of what I have done. Look at my past accomplishments, not what am I doing now. Um, that was one of the things that the uh, the fire chief, what was his name, uh, Freeman. I don't want to mess that up, but he's... Um, yeah, Chief Freeman. Yeah, yeah. Chief Freeman uh, from the West Coast. 
uh, Oakland, I believe. That's right. Yeah, Oakland. So um, we had a conversation with him, and he believed that every chief had a lifespan with a department. It was 10 to 12 years. And that gives you plenty of opportunity to set short-term goals, let your people and let your department see those goals being met so they see you're being progressive. Also, that 10, 12 years gives you the opportunity to make a lasting change in the culture for the better, and then after that, you got to go. You've run out of room to help, and you got to go on to another department that can use your service, that can use your skills, and then you have to let a new brain, a new fresh set of ideas come in and just build on the building blocks right behind you. But his his thought and idea was after that 10 to 12 years, you kind of become stagnant, um, and you start looming in what what I've done and not what I'm doing. And I, I believe that to be true. I mean, I've been doing this for 16 years, 18 years total, and you know, I've, I've come to those points in my own career where, I, you know, I've gone 100%. through stretches, man, yep. where I've gone through these stretches of, yep. man, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm tired. Look at what I've done. I've built this reputation on what I've done. And that's people know Matt Hoffman for what he did in Steve Hunt's rookie school. You know, people know Matt Hoffman for what he did way back when, you know, that one fire when he, you know, really shined or whatever. And then it's, it's like, well, what did Matt Hoffman do yesterday? Or what did Matt Hoffman have planned for this week? What has he failed to do this week that he said he was going to do? So mm-hmm. that's that mentality. I mean, and I think it takes people kicking you in the ass sometimes. It takes a reality check, and you need to have – that's the importance of close friendship to me is when I'm when I'm falling behind, Steve will get behind me and say, dude, you're sucking right now. You know, you need to get, you need to get your stuff together. And my wife, good God, my wife is the best one at it. She'll tell me. She'll be like, dude, you need to get your shit together and quit wallowing around, and you need to get it together. I don't know if you're not doing what you're supposed to at the firehouse, but it's translating into you're your, your not being fun to be around at the house, and that's a problem with me. So I enjoy the accountability, but I believe a lot of people don't have the ability to accept criticism like that, and that's a character flaw that I'm not sure where it originates from, but it's it's definitely a flaw. It's a flaw in, in human character to not be able to accept accountability. Accountability is the greatest form of love. It's hard. It's super hard, right? It's super hard to put the focus on yourself and realize that you're dropping the ball or you're not, you know, pushing yourself ahead because of whatever reasons, right? I think accountability is one of the hardest aspects in life is accepting responsibility for who you are, your actions, your words, and following through on it. I agree with Matt, all of that, I agree. And I find myself too, I, you know, you really made me sit back and think for a second. Like a lot of times on the podcast, when I'm talking to people like, ah, I've been doing this for 28 years now. And it's like, all right, great. But what, what does that truly mean? Right? Like, yeah. what, what did I do yesterday? Right? You know, what did I do? You know, uh, the day before that, what am I going to do next week? Like that matters. I, I really like how you put that brother. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Um, appreciate Steve, it. what yeah. are your thoughts, man? There's a there's a darker side to that. I want to see you do well, just not better than me. Like yeah. you were saying that the not wanting to let people promote around you or not wanting to have a rock star on your crew because they'll make you look bad. That's that's saying the quiet part out loud. Like I that's a a cancer in the fire service that a boss will want people around that won't make him look bad. That's I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what ingredient to throw in, but if you're doing that, don't do it. 
This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country, and it is being increasingly adopted by fire, rescue, and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment. I carry one. I have carried one for many years. It is the most versatile strap out there. Check it out. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Tim Anderson, the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions, has become a dear friend. In fact, he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago. Dropped the incredible information. He's super passionate about the fire service, about special operations, and he has built an incredible company, an incredible product. So because of our great relationship with Tim and Anderson Rescue Solutions, if you go to andersonrescue.com, you'll get 10% off if you use the promo code NFR2023. That's NFR2023 at checkout on andersonrescue.com. You'll get 10% off your order. And do me a favor, go over to their social media and check out Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for weekly news, product info, and other content in regards to Anderson Rescue Solutions. This episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, Flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using Flame. Flame Decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the firehouse. So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com. Use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a crazy cycle, I think, right? Because what, what what's happening is we have 
bosses that are not promoting their people and holding their people back. And from that, and you know what? I shouldn't even say, we talk about bosses a lot. Oh, the boss, the boss, the boss. We have our own people. We have firefighters in this country that hold people back. We have firefighters that vilify other firefighters for wanting to do more and be better. I want to go to a conference this weekend. You come back and you try to explain what you learned or teach and you have guys pushing back on you. Uh, you're a fucking nerd. Like, what? who cares? Like, we do it this way here. Like, not open-minded to promoting more, wanting more, right? And so we're doing it to ourselves. It's not just bosses. It's everyone. And I think what we need to really start looking at is how we treat one another. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, understanding that, one, we don't have all the answers. I never will. I like to think I do, and at times maybe that interferes with my judgment and decision-making, right? Because I think I know better than Matt Hoffman, right? But you know what? Maybe Matt Hoffman knows better than I do, but I didn't leave an open ear or have my eyes wide open to see that he might have done this once or twice more than I have, and maybe he's got a better idea of how to do this, right? That's where you have to have that internal conversation with yourself and say like, hey, maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I need to hear more from this guy and be willing to check your pride at the door for a half a second or your inflated ego, right? Because ego, a lot of times, is just insecurity disguised, right? I heard that somewhere. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and I think that that is a really good way to put that. And ego gets in the way of a lot of it. But I do find this too, that when push comes to shove, the guys with the ego and the guys with the loudest bark typically cannot follow it up. And I think if anything, we need to tell each other and give each other an attaboy and say, you know what, keep going after that guy because he's got nothing. Don't let that guy with that bark, don't let that mutt bring you down because frankly, what you're doing far outweighs any benefits or contributions he's brought to the table. Yeah, I agree. I like the uh, I like your point there where you, you were speaking about how firefighters, holding other firefighters back and whatnot. I, I can think of two extremely good examples of that right now uh, just in our department. I have two uh, younger guys in the fire department. What I mean by that is they're, they're, they're less than five years deep, and they are some absolute rock star go-getters. And they go to these conferences. I mean, they've been to Jonah Smith stuff, Steve Robinson stuff. They've been to all these people's stuff that are, I mean, they're geniuses when it comes to engine company tactics and stretching and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> far better than I'll ever be. Uh, but they go to these conferences, and then, you know, they'll come back, and I'm lucky because they both work in my house. And I'll ask, I'll be like, cool, what'd you learn, and this and that, and just try to dissect their brain a little bit. And I'm like, that's awesome, dude. Let's uh, go get with the training division and see if we can't get you guys out into the department and let you go work with these companies. Or at, at the very least, let's see if we can't get, you know, let's see if we can't get a film crew together and, and film some of these drills and stuff, and then we can put them out in our monthly training objectives. Let's do that. And they, there's always pushback with, no, I don't want to do that because I don't, want, I don't want the people to be like, you know, who are you? You've been serving since breakfast. You know, what can you possibly know? This is the way that we've always done it. Uh, why do we want to change things now? And that's, I mean, that's real in our department. We have plenty of people like that. It's everywhere. Um, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's a great example. But you've got, I think that's a, a missed opportunity for us. Uh, you know, when you have these younger guys who are super hot, super hard charging, they're into the job, they're learning, 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 learning. Hungry. They're hungry. That's yeah. right. Uh, great way to put it there. They're hungry. 
and then we take it and suppress them. Feel like make them feel like they haven't earned their ability to articulate their information or disseminate their information that they've learned to the rest of the department because they haven't served long enough. Get out of here. I mean, that's silly to think that you're not, you don't have, that you can only see through the optics of your own way of thinking and not be able to have a, a broader state of mind. That's silly. This makes me think of a, a piece of advice I got. This was early, right after Academy. Uh, it was actually a guy that went through the academy with me. He explained, after a fire, it's natural for most people, if they made a mistake, to want to not let anybody else know that right. they made that mistake. If you just address it, talk about it, like, if you made a mistake, tell your officer about it or tell your driver, tell whoever's around you and work through it so that you don't make the mistake again. If you keep doing that, through your career, it's kind of a, a fail-safe. It's an insurance policy to make sure that you're still um, hungry. You're still a student because you're holding yourself accountable. And you maybe it'll help. It's helped me a lot. Like, I think about that conversation after every single fire. Right. I'm like, all right, well, what did I mess up? And hopefully the list is short. But whatever it is, I'm going to tell you about it. You know, you guys bring up a couple very good points, and I got I got two I want to add to it, which just reinforces this whole conversation. You know, Matt, you were talking about the young guys, and oh, you you've only been serving since breakfast, right? Which is a great line. I've never heard that before. But you're welcome. Here's the, here's the other here's the other side to that coin. Think about the forty year guy that just retired that has forty years of unbelievable experience but he doesn't want to share it on today's channels of delivery because of the mutts that are out there and that they don't want to have to weed through the nonsense of trying to prove to people that they know what they're talking about. There are unbelievable people in the American Fire Service that have so much to offer, but they will not put it out there for people to hear because they don't want to have to deal with the nonsense that comes with it. And that, to me, is a crime, right? Because you got guys that are retiring from big jobs, bringing an incredible pedigree with them, and they're keeping it to themselves and not willing to share it because they don't want to deal with the nonsense of people that don't care about the job to begin with. It's That's crazy. a real problem. We are losing every day with shit like that. The other thing, too, and Steve, this kind of goes to your point a little bit, right? You were talking about mistakes and addressing mistakes right away after a fire or something like that. I look at departments. I've been to, I've been to fires where we've never even critiqued them afterwards. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what does that tell you? That tells <laughs> you you have a management team or, or a company officer that is not confident in their skills and they don't want to address the actual fire ground that you just came from because they know that something – you know, uh, in, in a negative light might shine on them and they want to shy away from that conversation. Any department that, or company that's not willing to go over what they just did operationally, if you have any type of run other than something routine, or even a routine run, talk about it if something, you know, different pops up, right? Like that's right. what people learn. And when you're not willing to have those conversations, that just tells you right across the board, like, they're not interested in being better. They're not interested in moving forward. They're not interested in addressing what transpired at that moment. They want to pretend it didn't happen so they can move on and so they can continue to stroke their ego. 
that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. That's a good indicator. I never really thought of that until you were talking, Steve. But that's a really good indicator of a troubled boss or a troubled company is when they don't want to talk about what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. And it's I'll even <clears throat> push it a step further. The I know a lot of times, you know, I've been out through the department presenting training of whatever kind or been at the training center when we have companies cycle through and they'll talk about a mistake or they'll say, you know, this part sucked. And then it's just like, okay, like it's just accepting it like that. It would like it just happened. Or, yeah, when we stretched that hose out, it went underneath of a door underneath the door and then got pinched there. Okay, And then that's just kind of where it stops. I'm like, so that's acceptable. Okay, you talked about it. I mean, and that's it. I mean, no, personally, I mean, I believe in I believe in a hard style of leadership. You should be in their ass about it. This is unacceptable, and we're going to do it until it doesn't happen again. Or, you know what I'm saying? Something something uh, along those lines. Uh, you can make it PC or politically correct or whatever you need to do. Right. But the the identif- the being able to identify the standard, find where you found short. And then reassure that that is not acceptable. And let's have accountability for it, right? But here's the, yeah. here's the, here's the troubling part of that equation. Weak leaders like to hold people accountable all the time, but they don't hold themselves accountable. Heard so that. when somebody comes down on somebody for that line being not stretched correctly or charged underneath the, the, you know, the controller backup fireman didn't get their loops out from underneath the door, whatever the situation, right? We're going to, we're going to now, come after this guy and vilify him for not doing his job correctly and yet it comes from a place where it doesn't really resonate with anyone because it's coming from a sham of a leader and when that happens right it goes back to to the relationship you two had in the fire academy was you you weren't willing to sacrifice that line and you held them to a standard because you held yourself to that same standard matt if you were a wishy-washy boss and held people to a standard up here and you only work down here, your word doesn't matter. Your actions don't matter because they look at you as a fraud and they don't believe in you. The only way your message resonates and things get fixed is when you have a boss or a leader that knows how to work with their people and he lives or dies by the same standards he has for his own people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's biblical. Like, you got to protect your reputation, your testimony, if you're not coming from a place of standard, then anything you say, it's not going to be respected. That's a. I thank you for that. That's a good one. I yeah. If you're not if you're not holding a standard, <laughs> what's that? I didn't do anything. I mean, we're just chatting. Yeah. This is this is the best part about what we do, right? And speaking yeah, of what we do, right. this is this is what you guys do too. And I think what's fun about your podcast, and we've talked about it before. Um, is that you guys kind of interview people from all over, different walks of life. It's not just a firefighting podcast. Um, you guys talk with uh, local res- uh, people that have uh, different disciplines or hobbies. You talk with business owners. You talk with politicians. You talk yeah, with doctors. Like, you guys are all over the place, which I love because it's the inquisitive nature of what you do. But I think that it, you guys are very much probably like me, where every conversation I have, my wheels are spinning in my head about how that relates back to the firehouse. Yeah, absolutely. I'd even say that we've we've brought that up in shows. I mean, 
we'll be talking to somebody. I mean, <laughs> one of our favorite people to talk to, have conversations with, is a guy named Dane Britt. He couldn't be further related from the fire service. I mean, he's a motorcycle stuntman, a DJ, and, you know, a firearms instructor. So it's he couldn't possibly be more out of touch with the fire department. But right. so much stuff that he says uh, and so much things that come up in conversation, it's so easy for us to pick out and just in the middle of the conversation, just say it out loud. You know, that how that relates back to our job or how that – little piece of information or that one practice that you do in life could, could, could relate to the fire service. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not difficult. And that's one of the, one of the, my favorite things about our show is we're not, we, we didn't shoe our shoehorn ourselves into only talking to fire service people. You know, we talked to, like you said, we talked to local politicians, <laughs> motorcycle stunt men, uh, mechanics, doctors, therapists, psychiatrists, you name it, dude. We'll, we we talk to anybody, and kind of the way we did that is we'll just have a conversation between each other and be like, you know, who would you like to talk to, just personally, yeah. and so we'll we'll try to seek out one that's close to us so we can get them down here in the studio, and we'll just have a conversation with them. We've had some not so interesting conversations before. I mean, obviously, right? Everything's not a win. Again. Yeah, that's everything's right. not a win-win all the time. Mm-hmm. But some of those we've dug some some absolute gold out of somebody that we met for the first time sitting at this table. Um, so yeah, that it's really fun. And I like that because that's my style of listening. I don't always listen to firefighter podcasts. I'll listen to a right. national fire radio show coming into work one day. And then I'll listen to Joe Rogan talking to Brett Weinstein another day, uh, you know, I'm all fact, over the, I barely listen to any firematic, uh, you know, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I enjoy that about our show that we didn't necessarily put ourselves, I guess, in a genre. I guess you could say we not really have one. We're just two dudes who like talking to people. Yeah, I end up Great. comparing a lot of stuff back to the fire service. I'm always surprised that the things that motivate other people, like Dane or politicians, like it's always universal. Like it's maybe I connect with these people because our motives are similar, but if you're if you're in it for the mission and you're wanting to improve whatever, if it's your industry or for us, we want the fire service to stay pure. If, if your mission is pure, I'm in and I can have a conversation with you. Like it's, it's the frequencies align and the stars come together. It's, I love it. I love that part. It's people. It's genuinely being interested in people. And I, and I think, you know, and this is, okay, relate it back to the fire service. This is another thing that we're missing in the fire service is empathy. Right? Absolutely. Being able, yeah. being able to understand and listen, being able to dial into your people and put yourself on the back burner for a half a minute to just get in tune with your people or the guy that you're riding with in the back seat. It doesn't have to be an officer-firefighter relationship. It could be firefighter-firefighter. It could be chief-chief. Like, dial into your people and become compassionate and understanding that everybody's got shit. And everybody's dealing with different things. I talk to my kids about this quite often. And I, you know, and we say, you know, that you don't know what these other kids are going through at home. The most popular kid in school could have the most horrific home life the oddest kid in school 
that's being bullied might have a horrific home life. You don't know what you don't know. And so we need to do better. I think we've lost track of that. And I think, you know, in, in the fire service, just in life, you know, it's funny. I love to engage people, cashiers. People. Absolutely. I, my, my biggest thing now is I tip. So in New Jersey, we still uh, have people pump our gas for us. We don't have self-service gas in New Jersey. So when you go to a gas station, somebody comes to, comes to your car and pumps your gas. And uh, we're one of two states in the country that do that. And my biggest thing now is I give the guy that pumps my gas two or three bucks every time. As an appreciation, I always say, hey, grab a cup of coffee, you know, because I usually get gas in the morning, you know, or whatever. And uh, and I I can I can afford two or three dollars every couple days. Right. When I fill up. And sure. to me, it's it's a just a gesture of kindness. And to them, it might be the brightest spot of their day. It might be the brightest spot of their year. Right. Somebody down and out hard on their luck. Typically, people pumping gas are not, you know, living a high life of society right so like it's just little things like that kindness a smile a hello those things matter and we've gotten so far away from that so for you guys to talk to people throughout society of different walks and different industries and different positions i love that in fact i'm kind of jealous of it because i think i could do that as well you know like i just i think i would get a lot out of that it it's a good time uh you're your thing about empathy in the firehouse, um, what I was going to say is it's okay to understand where somebody's coming from and not agree with it. Like, you can still have that conversation. You can still see where they're coming from and and understand it and feel it. You don't have to agree with it. It's okay to saying, not agree. Are you saying that we – are you saying we're allowed to disagree? Yes. I'm saying How we're dare allowed. you? Yeah. And still respect one another? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's one of the beautiful dynamics of mine and Steve's relationship. There is tons of stuff that we don't agree on by any means. Steve not even close. Prius, voted for Hillary. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't so, believe he nailed me like that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve, no, you there's know what? plenty. That's like the second shot I took at you today. I apologize, yeah. man. No, that's all right. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm gonna turn it around and go after Matt now. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Bring it. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh that's 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 a lost art. Um is being able to have conversations with people you don't agree with and still being able to have a hug at the end of it. Um yeah. that's 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 great. Uh good friend of ours that we had on the show, Tony Cowden. He's he ran for US House of Representatives here in North Carolina, but he is he has got some hard charging hard charging ideas when it comes to politics. And I just, you know, sometimes when, when he's talking, he gets on his rants and his soapbox. I just kind of want to turn away <laughs> and not be associated with it. And then I'm like, you know, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. We can, uh, and we still have a big hug when we leave here and it's okay. Or I'll disagree with him on, on air. I think that's okay. That's, that's a missing thing too, is we don't see people disagree, um, in a sense that couldn't be considered fighting. Yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Look at your relationship with your spouse, for an example. Is every time you disagree with them, is it a fight, what you would consider a fight? Probably not, or maybe it is. And if that's the case, you probably should both work on communication. Right. But, uh, you know, just showing showing that you can disagree and it not be uh, hostile or I don't want to say violent because it rarely ever gets violent, but it doesn't have to be hostile and standoffish. It's just two people having 
you know, disagreeing on whatever the point may be. And you can still be okay after it. We all, we all are cut from different cloths and we all come from different backgrounds. And so there's no way that one agenda or one point of view will ever be, you know, the way. And, and so people have to understand that. And when we lose sight of that, that's where we go down a very dangerous path, you know, a very dangerous road where you believe and we've created and fostered an environment where, you know, not just in firehouse, but in society where it's your way or no way. And, you know, and I think this kind of brings it back to the early on conversation about like being able to sit back and recognize that maybe somebody else knows something a little bit more than you do, right? Like I don't pretend to be an accountant or a lawyer or a car mechanic, right? Like, so why do we do that with everything else in life, right? Like if I was so smart and good at everything I did, I would change my own oil, fix my own brakes, like, you know, and things like that, but I don't, right? And so right. you believe that somebody else knows something more than you. So why don't we allow that in political conversations and conversations about other aspects of life? We need to be a little more open-minded and at least listen to both sides. I think part of the problem too, though, is you don't know the angle of both sides, meaning is it factual, is it truthful, and everything sure. coming to the table. Can you really form an independent opinion anymore? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a, yeah, yeah, it's almost it's almost like you need to vet their motives before you have the conversation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's like vetting the better. How do you do that? Right? Yeah. So yeah it's, I, it's I tough. Think what, I think ultimately for me, like what's important is you don't sacrifice your own morals, ethics, and values. And as long as you know where you come from and what is what is right, what is wrong, what you're willing to compromise on and where you're willing to draw that hard line, as long as you have those conversations with yourself and then follow through on them. And Matt, that goes to the conversation about at the academy, not not wavering, not willing to compromise, right? Like, you know, as long as you have that conversation with yourself and you know where you stand, I don't think you have a lot of conflict in your own life then because you believe in your position. And I think that that's important. Agree. Yeah. So Agreed. what's next yeah. for you guys, right? So primary complete. I mean, what's the mission of it? Like, what do you guys want to do with this crazy thing you've created? <laughs> well, I think we've hit a lot of hit a lot around it um, so far. Yeah. I, I mean, our little, I guess, our mantra or whatever uh, is "Make conversation great again." It's kind of our little slogan or our catchphrase. Uh, it. And it's it's mm -hmm. just that normalizing conversation. Like I said, a lot of things that we've already spoke about. Uh, being able to disagree, being able to relate with somebody in a different walk of life and be able to understand that they, even though they're not in the fire service, they still can add value. Uh, so just bringing those things to light um, as far as where to go from here. Um, you're talking about that overwhelming generosity that we were talking about. Um, have you ever seen those clips on like social media where somebody will, they'll ask somebody for a dollar and then the person will give them a dollar and then they end up being like, thank you. I just wanted to see if you give me a dollar and then they give them like a thousand dollars or they give right. them something else. It's over the top. That is, that is, I don't know how to parallel the two universes uh, when it comes to what we want to do here at primary complete, but it looks like that. I want, you know, to be ridiculously generous with time and resources and everything else to be able to excel this fire service. It's awesome. Yeah, great. everything everything gets better with conversation. Like the fire service improves, mental health improves. It's 
having genuine conversations around the kitchen table, around a podcast table, just talking and get the ideas out. Because sometimes I'll say a dumb idea, but at least now I said it and I heard that it's stupid and <laughs> Hoffman will point out that it's dumb. And now I don't carry around that dumb idea anymore. So conversation makes everything better. I love it. And you guys are doing a very good job at it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch the back and forth between you two. Matt, you said it before that, you know, this is a guy, you know, Steve is a guy that you haven't had any of those weird feelings. Typically when we do partnership projects and things like that. And I think that that matters, right? And so, you know, ultimately there's this uh, relationship and, and, you know, this back and forth between you two that I think fairly represents exactly what you guys are talking about. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's awesome. a compliment. Awesome. I appreciate it. Cool. I love it. You got, so, what's you next? Got to get out of t- you got to get out of town, don't you? I do. I, we're under a time crunch, but I want to I push you a little bit. And I think we talked about this last time we talked. Okay. Um, I like to push people that I respect and like, and I think what you guys are doing is very good. And so I always like to challenge people a little bit and push them a little bit more to get out of their comfort zone a little bit more or to recognize what you guys bring to the table. And I think you can do more. And I think that you guys need to start getting out there a little bit more. I think you need to get to some conferences. I think you need to set up and start sharing a good word. Um, and I would, I would challenge you to cold call a couple of these conferences and see if they'll let you come and hang because I think you guys bring a lot to the table and it could be a lot of fun. And I, I firmly believe I always sign off every episode saying, you know, talk about the job because when we talk about the job, we make the job better. I firmly believe that. I think the conversation that we just had for the last hour today was super powerful. Like, I think people that are going to listen to this episode are going to get a lot of good nuggets out of it and talking about just people and, and management and, you know, and uh, position in life and all of that. There was a lot of good stuff that was talked about. And I think that you guys are stewards of that and the, the conversation you bring to the table and the community that listens to you guys, I think they get, they bring value away from every conversation. So I challenge you to do more, be better, fix your infrastructure. So we don't have to lose episodes because this was a good one. You better not lose this one. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I'm nervous, <laughs> but I am. I'll tell you this though. I'm looking forward to getting down to you. I want to sit in that studio and have a glass of uh, brown liquor with you and um, really, you know, chat it up some more. I think the three of us could talk for hours on a lot of this stuff, but um, what a great conversation wait. today, fellas. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me on my show this time. And, um, you know, and so on. But uh, it's really not my show. It's our show. It's it's co-branded. You guys, me, all of us. It's it's putting out good information so that people that are willing to listen to us get something out of it. That's all that matters. Yeah, heard that. Yeah, yep. Jeremy, Absolutely. great conversation. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, it was good. This is better than the last one, too, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that. We're getting yeah. better with time. Yeah, we're trying to improve. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was good. It was really good. And I appreciate you both very much for joining me today and, um, you know, and so on. And I look forward to seeing what's next for you guys. And we've been talking about maybe doing some collaboration stuff down the road, which would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, we're always looking at National Fire Radio. We're always looking for people that are really into the job and, and that they bring something to the table. And I know that you both certainly bring a lot to the table. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to future projects with you guys. I wish you nothing but utmost success. And, and have fun with it, man. Enjoy yes, what sir. you guys do, um, which I think you do. I don't think you need me to tell you that, but uh, enjoy what you do. 
because it matters. Yes, sir. We're, yeah, thank a, you. It's very nice cool. of you to say. We really appreciate that. And uh, be careful traveling, brother. Thanks, pal. Appreciate you guys. I was going to sign off real quick and then hang out. We'll talk right after you, you kill it. So, Sounds everyone, good. thanks for tuning in to another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Matt and Steve from the Primary Complete Podcast. If you're not familiar with them, go check them out on the audio channels uh, and on social media. Primary Complete, that's where you'll find them. They're doing great things, having good conversation, and promoting the job, making the job better. So, thanks for tuning in. If you have any uh, ideas, thoughts, or concerns, email us, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. You'll grab me. I'm the guy that answers that. So if you have anything you want to talk about, send it over there. And uh, in the meantime, take this conversation, take it back to the kitchen table and talk about it. Because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.